Hello and thanks for streaming this episode from ACF Church. Our hope is that this word would encourage you to walk closer with God and with your local church. We hope you consider partnering in the work God's doing here by joining a life group, serving, and giving. If you'd like to give financially to the mission of ACF Church, you can do so safely on our website at acfak.org or by texting the amount to 907-341-4213. Now prepare your hearts to hear God's word. Well, good morning. Welcome to ACF Church. Listen, if you serve anywhere at ACF, we just want to say thank you so much. Uh, that was from VIP night. Anybody here there at VIP night? Yeah, you guys. It was awesome. Those were my real abs, by the way, in case you were wondering. Um, yeah, that's, it's all working. Out. That CrossFit is doing a number on me. So anyway, thank you so much. If you serve at ACF anywhere, you make us who we are. When people say, I love ACF Church, I feel like home, you know, I'm at home when I come to ACF Church, it's because of you. And uh, you need to know that and know that whatever you do, uh, whether it be uh, brewing coffee or shaking hands or playing in the worship band or uh, serving food downtown uh, with Urban Mission, you are being Jesus to people and people notice. And so thank you so much uh, for being the church. So let's give a hand to our volunteers this morning. It's just amazing. This is really, it's, it's key. Like, this is who we are. And we talked about this at VIP night. Um, the, the kingdom of God is a kingdom of servanthood. The way that Jesus came to earth, he came to serve. He came in a way that was completely different than people thought a king should come. And so we really base everything we do on that principle. We are here to serve each other, and that's how we best reflect who Jesus is. And so um, thanks for being a part of that. We are in a series called Explicit Grace, and uh, it, it's created some really good conversations so far. The title, Explicit Grace, uh, we chose that because we believe that the grace of Jesus is an explicit sort of grace. It's a challenging sort of grace. It's the kind of grace that should cause us uh, to look at our lives and to change the trajectory of where we're going. It should even offend us sometimes. Because if you look at the grace that Jesus uh, communicated to the world as he was on earth, he was always offending people with what he said and how he walked. And so uh, my fear is that the grace that we project as a church uh, or that, that uh, we project as Christians in general, is sort of like an all right kind of grace. It's like a take it or leave it sort of grace. It's not an explicit grace, a challenging kind of grace. A and uh, this really sits at the core of who we are as a church, uh, as we exist to amplify the grace of Jesus to the churched and the unchurched and the dechurched, uh, that we would actually amplify his grace, and not, not some kind of distorted version of it. And so uh, we start off with week one, um, we are walking through the book of Romans. This is Paul's letter uh, to the church in Rome, maybe one of the most influential books um, of this entire book itself. Uh, the book of Romans has really shaped the way that we see grace, the way that we see our faith uh, today. And so we wanted to study this. We're spending eight weeks going through it, which if you've ever gone to a church that studied Romans, you would think that that's very short, and it is. Um, if you're wondering uh, why we're skipping things, it's because it's eight weeks. We're going to skip things. We kind of have to. We're not going to hit everything in the book of Romans, but we're going to try to take each theme and speak to each theme. And so the first week, uh, we spoke about our brokenness and depravity, uh, which was so much fun. That's a great way to start the series with uh, the message of basically we're all a mess. Um, I don't know how bad we think that we are. I don't know how bad you think that you are, but it's probably worse than you think. 
Um, some of us feel like um, we're pretty decent people, and uh, we come to Jesus to kind of push us over the edge, make us just good enough for God, but, you know, I'm kind of halfway there by myself. I'm pretty decent as a human being. And so Paul wants to start off this, this conversation through uh, the book of Romans by explaining that we are broken people. Uh, it, it is worse than you think. We are depraved. To our core, we are a mess. We try to do good things, but our good things um, are not that good of things. And so it helps us, uh, as we start there, to really appreciate the grace of Jesus. And I, I said this, you need, you need to first descend into this place of hopelessness before you can ascend into this place where you realize Jesus is your only hope. I mean, if it's, if it's Jesus plus, I'm a pretty decent human being. If it's Jesus plus, you know, I pay my taxes and help old ladies across the street. If it's Jesus plus anything, we've missed everything. It's only Jesus. That's the only reason that we're saved. And the only way we can come to that reality is if we realize how much we are in need of a Savior. And so I start off by depressing everybody with this reality. We're just a mess. We are a, a broken wreck, and we need a Savior. And then, uh, luckily, Paul doesn't end there. Uh, we would all need counseling if he did, right? Um, if he's just like, you're a mess, good luck, right? But he doesn't. The story continues on. And he says, through what Christ has done for us on the cross, we can be justified before God. And, and justification is simply a theological term that means it's just as if I never sinned. Just as if I'd never made that bad decision as a teenager or that bad decision last week. It's, it's just as if we uh, were perfect and holy before God which is really good news, right? I mean, it's only good news if you realize how broken you were in the first place. But we start there. Now we're justified before God, made holy before God. And then the next question is, well, how does that work? What does that look like? Because, Brian, I'll be honest, I didn't look that holy this morning. You know, like when I woke up and I did, lost an hour of sleep and I snapped at my family or whatever it was, I, I don't feel like I look like a holy person. And, and so Paul talks about the next term, which is sanctification. And sanctification is simply the process of becoming holy. Uh, first, we are made holy positionally before God, changed uh, in an instant. It's not a process, it's an instantaneous change. You go from being a, somebody who is broken before God and, and uh, who is sinful to a new person identified by Christ himself. And so then we go, okay, now my new identity is in Christ. Now the process that I live out through my life is becoming more like who I am. And you guys, when you get this, there's so much hope in this. If you've ever felt like, I don't know, how can I ever change this part of my life? Or maybe you've bought into this, you've said, I'm just a dirty, rotten sinner saved by grace. You ever said that before? I'm just a sinner saved by grace. I want to tell you this, if you're a believer in Jesus, that's no longer who you are. Now you are changed by God, you are holy before God, and so as you reject sin in your life, as you reject things that don't look much like Jesus, you're actually becoming who you are. And that's hopeful. That's, that's good news for us. So Pastor Josh last week talked all about sanctification, becoming set apart, and how it's all about competing desires, not just decisions, but praying that God would change our desires, change what we want out of this life so we would want his best for us. And so we come through that, and then we, we continue on in the book of Romans, and a, a question that comes up as we look at our lives is, where is God in all of this mess? Where is God when it gets really difficult? Because there's that day that you make a decision to follow Jesus, but the next day you got to live it out. And, and you got to figure out who is God when, when problems come up. And, and when I go through issues and when there's pain in my life, who is this God? Does he still love me? Is he still with me? Has he left? And I think any Christian, if you're honest, you've asked yourself that question. Like, is God still with me? 
I mean, have I done enough that he would remove his hand of blessing on my life? Have I done enough that, that he's like, you know what, um, you're not worth the effort. Uh, you're a little bit too much work. You're a little too far gone. I think I'm going to leave you. And, uh, and, and so we want to come uh, to this reality through the book of Romans and, and deal with it. And so uh, I don't know if you've ever asked yourself that question, but uh, we've been praying um, in this fall. We, we went through a series called In Alaska as in Heaven. And we've been praying as a church the Lord's Prayer. And if you know about the Lord's Prayer, you know in that prayer you pray that thy will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Do you guys know that part? So we pray that thy will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's how Jesus taught us to pray, which implies something really important, I think, to just to set a baseline at the beginning, which is that God's will isn't really happening on earth as it is in heaven. Like, Jesus wouldn't teach us to pray that if it was already happening. It implies that things are not how they're supposed to be on earth. Have you felt that way before, where you look around at the world and you're like, this is not how it's supposed to be. This, this should have been different, or this is supposed to be different. First uh, John 5.19 explains this. It says, the whole world is under the control of the evil one. Okay, so once again, as we look at the world around us, we've got these conflicting realities that we deal with as Christians, which is that we've got a God who's in control, but then we look around at the world and we see it looks kind of like evil's in control. Like we see a God that's in control, yet I make terrible decisions that don't honor him. How does this all work together? And maybe you've said this before where you're dealing with something difficult or maybe you made a bad choice or whatever it may be and you said, it's okay, God is in control. God is in control. Is that true? Yeah, yeah it, it is. But it brings up some, it, it it's both brings us peace as well as brings us some problems, doesn't it? Like, well, God is in control, but man, that tsunami killed you know, 80,000 people. God is in control, but, you know, this person just got diagnosed with cancer. God is in control, but, you know, I am losing my job. God is in control. Where is he at in all of this? And who is God when we deal with these things? And so this is a huge topic this morning, you guys. Honestly, I've, I, I, I have been wrestling with this message more than I've wrestled with a lot of messages in, in a long time because there's so much here, and there, this is, this is going to get right up in your life. And I know some of you are dealing with really difficult things. Uh, you have dealt with a lot of loss and a lot of struggle. And so I really uh, have just been praying that you can see the hope in this message. And so Paul um, gives us Romans 8, 28. And we're going to read this together. Would you stand up together? And we're just going to read um, verses 28 through 39 together. It says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. You, know, you can read it out loud if you want. That's cool. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. As it is written, 
for your sake we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love in God, in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's pray together. Father, I just pray we could receive that. I don't feel like I need to say much of anything um, beyond your word today. This really says it all, God, you are with us, and you have not left us. And so, God, I just pray you'd illuminate your word to us today. Um, I know there's some people here uh, who really need to believe that you're with them, who really need to see uh, what you're doing around them. And God, I pray for all of us that you'd speak just one thing to us, that we could know your love in a deeper way, and that we could overflow with that love to the world around us this week. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, I don't know if you know this, but... um, we are all sort of hardwired to avoid pain. Um, if you're anything like me, I avoid pain at all costs. It's why I don't go to the gym very often. Um, although, again, it's working out for me. You saw the video. So, it's, yeah, it's the McDonald's plan. It's working out great. So, I don't know about you, but I avoid pain uh, as much as I can. I, I don't want to experience pain. But, um, it, it's funny, how many people in this room have tattoos? Come on, be honest, tattoo, like all of you, sweet, our whole church is tatted up. I love it, I love it. So my wife, she has five tattoos. I am a pure canvas, uh, top to bottom. I'm just waiting on the right thing. I've been trying to figure out what I want for a tattoo for a lot of years. I've I've got a few things in mind, but uh, one of the things that I don't like about it is I know it's gonna hurt, right, tattoo people? It just hurts, and depending on where you get the tattoo, it's gonna hurt more or less. And so I don't know that I really want a tattoo bad enough to deal with the pain that I'm gonna go through to get a tattoo. Some of you have whole sleeves, and you know, most of your body is tattooed, and I'm, I'm just like, man, it's gonna hurt, it's gonna cost something, tattoos are expensive, right? So you got to take out a second loan on your, on your house if you want to get enough, you know, ink on your body. And so it just, for me, I haven't chosen to do that yet because it just hasn't been worth the pain. But it's funny, sometimes we will do things like that when we know that the payoff is good enough, right? We will go through pain if we believe in the payoff. And so here's what I want you to do. I want you to look at your life and, and just first acknowledge that we avoid pain at all costs. And most of the time it's because we don't see a payoff. We don't see that there's any reason for this pain. And so when we don't see a reason, we avoid it at all costs. And, and Paul wants to deal with pain. He, he's speaking to people who, many of which would be persecuted for their faith, maybe even martyred for their faith. And he's like, hey guys, when you go to follow Jesus, it's going to be painful. You're going you're gonna to deal with struggles. It's going to get hard. And there are people that would tell you the exact opposite. Like, you know, follow Jesus. Your life's going to get all better. Your kids are going to listen to you. You know, like, you're going to get a raise. Everything's going to be better. That's not the truth, right? That's just not the truth. The truth is when you go to follow Jesus, it may get harder. It may get more difficult when you follow Jesus. Uh, and so we want to start off with that. And Paul is speaking to people like, hey, it's going to get hard. But he starts off with this in verse 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. So the first thing that we need to realize as we read that is that he's speaking to those who love God. We want to first separate who he is speaking to. If you're here today and you're not a believer in Jesus, you haven't chosen to to put your life in God's hands yet, Uh, you haven't said, I want to follow God, then he's not speaking to you. He's speaking to believers. 
People who have said, I love you, I want to follow you, and I want to pursue your calling for my life. He says, so for those who love God, all things work together for good. Now, this is an interesting statement. Um, you guys maybe have this verse, you know, written on, a, on, on something at home. You've maybe shared it on Instagram. It's stitched into a pillow somewhere. It's on a coffee mug. I mean, this is, a, this is the kind of verse we love to sprinkle on top of painful situations, right? It, it just makes us feel a little better, and so Christians love to throw around this passage. And, and I believe Romans 8.28 is one of the most powerful and misused passages in the entire Bible. It's the kind of thing we put on top of our pain as if to say, you know, it's okay, it's, it's all going to be better, uh, it, it's going to be just fine. And, and although there's, there's so much truth to that, I, th- I just want to start off with a baseline by saying, be careful with this verse, Christians. Be careful throwing this verse around. Because maybe you've had a friend that's, that's dealt with something really difficult, and you've, been, you, and you've been like, hey, it's okay, all things are working together for the good of those who love God, and they punch you in the face, and they're like, you know, it's okay, it's working together for your good, it's fine. You know, it's the kind of thing you have to be careful with throwing out there, because sometimes people just need somebody to cry with them, right? Sometimes people just need a friend who'll be there with them in it, and there may be an opportunity to share this truth, but we have to be careful with this, so we don't distort the truth that's, uh, that's being communicated through this. He says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. Now, what's Paul saying here? I want you to write this down. Write down, today's troubles, uh, t- today's trouble is becoming tomorrow's testimony. That's the first thing I think he's trying to communicate, that today's trouble is becoming tomorrow's testimony. A- and if you're a believer in this room, you've experienced this before, where you've gone through something difficult, and then, you know, days, weeks, months later, you've looked back on that situation, and you've seen how God was using it for your good. Now, this is really good news that today's trouble is becoming tomorrow's testimony. Uh, Some of you, the most powerful testimony in your life is something of pain. It's something of struggle. It's a bad decision that you made. It's a bad decision that somebody else made that was affecting you. But through that, you're able to help other people as they walk through hard things. That's what this is saying, but here's what it's not saying. It's not saying that pain isn't still pain. It's not saying that pain doesn't still hurt, that it isn't still a a struggle and a problem. We, We need, I think, as Christians, to acknowledge that pain hurts, to acknowledge that sometimes life is hard, and, and it's, it's been too long that I think Christians are like, put on a happy face, all things are working together for the good, when that's not even how Jesus lived his life all the time. I mean, he had a deep-seated hope that couldn't be taken away from him, but he felt pain. He knew pain. He knew pain greater than many of us knew pain, and he didn't ignore it. He acknowledged the pain. I think it's important that we acknowledge that pain hurts and that it's hard But he says this, I love this statement in there, if God is for us, who can be against us? Even if it's hard, even if it's it's a struggle, God is with you and nobody can be against you if if he's for us. He will deliver you through the pain. Think about Jesus, he he had this friend, if you know this story, this friend named Lazarus, you guys know this story? So Lazarus uh, is a good buddy of his and Jesus is is miles away and he gets word that Lazarus is sick and that he's going to die. And they say, Jesus, would you go to Lazarus and go heal him? And then Jesus continues doing ministry for a couple days. He, he sort of wastes some time. And I can imagine people are like, Jesus, he's going to die. And by the time Jesus gets there, Lazarus is dead. Now, he loves Lazarus. He loves Lazarus. And, and when he walks in and he sees his friend dead, we, we get the, the shortest verse in the Bible, which is what? 
Jesus wept, right? Jesus wept. This is such an interesting thing when you think about it. Did you, do you think Jesus knew it was coming? Do you think he knew it was, of course he did. Like Jesus was gonna perform a miracle. In fact, when they were asking him about like what's taking him so long, why, why did it take so long? Jesus says, I-, I am taking this long so that I can perform a miracle so that you might believe. And Jesus even said like, it's good that I'm not there yet. It's good that I'm not there yet so that I can perform this miracle. It, you almost catch as you read the story that if Jesus were there, he would have been tempted to heal Lazarus before he died. Now, that's just my interjection, but it's almost like Jesus loves this guy enough that he's like, I'm going to be at a distance because this is going to be really hard. And then when he gets there, his friend has died. And then, then he, you know, the whole Lazarus, wake up, get Lazarus, gets up, and he brings him to life. Now, think about this. Jesus sees his friend dead. He knows in a few moments that his friend will be walking around, talking. He's going to be alive. And yet, in that moment, Jesus felt pain. He looked at his dead friend, and he just, I can imagine he just thought this shouldn't be. That's how death is, isn't it? When you experience death or you have somebody who passes away who you love, you look and you think this is not how it's supposed to be. And I think that's really important to acknowledge. There are things that go on in this world that are not as, they, as they're supposed to be. Things that are just not right. Uh, we don't need to look the other way and act like things are, things are good when they're not. Things are broken in this world. There is evil in this world, isn't there? There are things that should be called evil. There's evil outside of us, right? And, and he talks about this, all the, this, this distress and famine and all these things that come in at us, these struggles that we go through. There's evil inside of us as well. He talks about who, who would accuse God's elect. Essentially, he's saying, you're going to deal with accusation. Even once you follow Jesus, you're going to look at all the mistakes in your life and all the things that you've gone through, and you're going to deal with a sense of accusation. It may come from people in your life who are like, you don't, you don't love God, look at what you did, right? It may come from within you, and, and you question, do I really love God because I, I did this or I did that or, or whatever it is? Uh, you know, the enemy, the, uh, Satan himself is called the accuser. Essentially, you know, if you experience any kind of accusation, it's coming from, uh, from something that's evil and not of God once you follow Jesus. And so we need to know that, that, that those things, there is evil that exists, there is pain that exists, And although today's trouble is becoming tomorrow's testimony, we need to acknowledge today's trouble and look it in the face and and call things evil that are evil and be willing to say that's just not how it was supposed to be. Jesus himself, his friend is dead and he weeps. He's just like, this is terrible. This isn't what was supposed to be this way. The other thing I think we need to realize is that it's not just working itself out for the good. Uh, Something we say sometimes is like, ah, it's all going to work out. I want to tell you here today, no, it's not. Things don't just work themselves out. If something works out in the life of a believer, you can thank God for that because God works things out. But things don't just work out. We need to know that things are working out by God for the good of those who love him, okay? So that's kind of baseline. We know that, okay, this is building into a story, a testimony, which is simply a story of God working in our lives, And so for you, I don't know what that is in your life. We all should be able to tell some kind of testimony. If you're a believer, it's the most powerful thing that you have with somebody who doesn't know God or love God or believe in God is your story. We all need to be really good at telling our stories. But it brings up this question, okay, so what is this good that's coming out of my pain? Like, what is this good? What's it causing? 
Verse 29 says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Essentially, he's saying, your destiny as believers is to look like Jesus. If you're wondering, like, what's, what's God's plan for my life uh, as a Christian? It's to look more like Jesus. All of what you experience, all that you do, God wants to use it to make you look more like Jesus in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. In those, whom, uh, in those whom he predestined, he also called. In those whom he called, he also justified. In those whom he justified, he also glorified. And go ahead and write this down, this next thing. God is using our pain to build his kingdom. If you're wondering what he's doing, what he's creating out of your pain, he's building his kingdom. Now, you might be like, well, Brian, I just read stuff about me, like what God wants to, he wants me to look like the, the image of, of Jesus. But what you need to understand is that when we all look more like Jesus, this world looks more like the kingdom of God. And we started off this fall talking about that, that thy, thy kingdom would come, thy will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. What that means is it's our prayer that we as, as people would come into a greater submission to God's will for our lives. In fact, when Jesus is talking about this, people are asking him about the kingdom of God, and he's like, it's not going to come like you think it's going to come. You know, like, like God's just going to nuke your enemies, and it's going to, you know, be this, this crazy explosion with this king and a, and a big row. Like, it's going to, he says, the kingdom of God is in you. That's how it's going to come to earth, is that I'm going to change your heart. And there's going to be this movement of the kingdom in God's people, like there is right here in our church, and there is in Eagle River, and there is in Anchorage. There's going to be this movement of the kingdom of God, this groundswell that's going to happen. And people are going to start to see the reign and rule of God in your lives. And that's how it's going to come to earth. And so your pain ultimately isn't just about your story, it's about his story. I want you to think about that because we're all looking for answers for our pain, aren't we? We're all looking for why did this happen? This is, the, this is a common question. God, God, why did you allow this to happen? Why is this happening around us? And to determine the why, what we do is we look at our own story and we're like, okay, so uh, maybe, maybe it's to help me with my relationship with my wife or my husband or maybe it's to, to, to give me a chance to witness to this friend, to tell them about Jesus or, or whatever it is. But I want you to know that, that the, the good that God is working through your pain, it may, be, it may be bigger than your story. It may be bigger than your situation. You may not be able to see that God is working, the good that God is working through your pain. You may not be able to see it this side of heaven. He's not saying that like you're going to get to see the good that is working out for the good of those who love God. You may not get to see it. In fact, it may be generations before God actually works out the good that is going to come through your pain. And now this is just difficult news, isn't it? Because we all want payoff today. Like, I want to see the good, you know? If you went in and paid a thousand bucks for a tattoo and you got done and there was nothing there, you'd be like, that stinks, right? Waste of money. I want to see the product for my pain. And that's just not how it works in the kingdom of God. That's not how it works. But here's the good news. The good news is that ultimately our life is about honoring God, and God will bring honor to himself through our pain. That's good news. So, so you can't miss God's plan for you, you know? You can't, like, step off the bus and, and wow, man, I, now I, I, I can't be used by God. No, he's going to use every terrible thing, every painful thing, ultimately for his glory and your good, I believe. And so that's, that's good. He's using our pain to build his kingdom. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, And we all, with unveiled face, 
beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. In other words, throughout your life, in every stage, through every season, God is making you look more and more like Jesus. We are being transformed to show the world the glory of God through all that we do. God is using our pain to build his kingdom. Think about this. This is just another thing that flies in the face of that, you know, like health and wealth, uh, just follow Jesus, it's all gonna be good. He is speaking to people who might be martyred for their faith, crucified for their faith, right? And this is still so true. So think about it. You're hanging on a cross about to be martyred for your faith, thinking about this verse. God is working all things together for the good. This does not feel good. This does not feel like God's working things together for the good. This feels like I'm going to die, because I am. But he's saying, once again, this is not just about you. And man, you know, if you, you don't take anything else home, uh, just take that home. That this story that's being written in the world around us, it's not about any individual in this room. It's about God coming to earth. It's about him establishing his kingdom and saving his people. It's about his mercy and his, his grace and us doing nothing that we, nothing to earn it in any way. So the next question that comes up in all of this, um, as I'm studying this, is this. Okay, so God is using everything. Uh, he, he is, he's using all this, this struggle and pain that I go through, and he's working it together for the good of, of those who love God, ultimately glorifying himself through all of that. So, is everything going just as planned? Essentially, is all of this planned out? If, is all of this locked in from the, the, before time began to eternity? Like, is all of this working out just as planned? In other words, here, here's the, 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 the catch-all term. Is all of this God's will? Is everything that I'm going through God's will? Now, there was a, a girl that came up to me. It was a while back. It was a few years ago. And she came up to me after a, a service. We were talking about things like this, and she's like, hey, Brian, I want to tell you my story. Um, she's, like, she's like, so uh, let's just say, like, as a teenager, um, I wasn't a church kid. I'm like, okay, what's that mean? She's like, well, I slept with a lot of people. I'm like, whoa, okay. We're launching right into this. She's like, yeah, I, I like, slept with everybody. I'm like, okay, awesome. Let's keep going. Um, she's like, not awesome, but she, she, said, she said, I got pregnant when I was 16, and uh, she said, I launched into this terrible season of my life where I isolated from everybody, and uh, I, I struggle with a lot of things, a lot of hatred for God, hatred for people, hatred of myself, and I'm kind of like, this is not a good testimony. And uh, anyway, she's like, but here's the good news, here's the good news. She said, just a couple of years ago, I started seeing God bring people into my life. I'm like, go on. She's like, well, I keep meeting these girls who have gone through the same thing that I went through, and here I am later on in life, and, and I, I found grace, I found Jesus, my life's been transformed, so I'm able to walk with them through this pain. I'm like, well, that's really good, you know? And she's, this is the thing that caught me, that uh, she said, she said, so now as I look back at, at all the decisions I made as a teenager, she said, I know that that was all God's will for my life. And so I was like, time out, right? Let's back up just a little bit, and let's look at this so essentially what she's saying is she's seeing all of what God is doing through her, her pain and her struggles and her bad decisions, and she looks at her bad decisions, she, she, and she says, I know that was all God's will for my life. Here's what I would say to you today, if that's you, if you've looked back like that, is that we don't want to mistake God's redemption for his approval. God redeems broken situations and terrible decisions, terrible things that we do, things that should be called evil, right? Right? 
we do evil things. Evil things have been done to us. And to look at those things and be like, well, I guess it's all God's plan for my life. No, we love, we love the God who's embodied in Christ Jesus, who sees his friend dead and is gonna raise him to life and looks at that and he weeps. He's like, that's not good. <laughs> you know, he feels that pain. And so we can feel pain and loss for the choices that we've made. We can feel pain and loss for the decisions that have been made around us and say, no, that's not how it was supposed to be. That's not what God intended for us or for them. So we don't want to look at our pain and say, well, it must have been God's plan necessarily. And it gets hard to tell. It's hard to tell sometimes, is God disciplining me? What's he doing through this? We get lost in kind of the weeds on that. We never want to look at our sin and our mistakes and say, man, that was all God's plan because he redeemed it and he used it for a greater cause. It says this as it continues on. It says, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. So once again, your destiny is that you would look more like Jesus. And and essentially, predestined simply means this, to be determined beforehand. That it's already been predetermined that you would end up looking like Jesus. Okay, so this is when it gets interesting. Because this launches into a whole other set of problems, right? A whole other set of, of, of theological conversation. Because for us, the first question that comes up, right, is, well, what about free will? What about my will? I mean, and I want to I start off with this. This is a really big deal for us. We live in a really independent society. We live in Alaska, right? You know, we can do anything, pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. We take care of ourselves in Alaska, right? I don't know why we have like a southern drawl, but, we, you know, we take care of ourselves in Alaska. We're, we can do everything on our own. We feel very independent in Alaska. We like, to, we like to feel like we're in charge and we're in control, don't we? I mean, it's all an illusion, but we like to feel that way, like we're in, we're in charge, we're in control. And this matters a lot to us. I think the first thing we need to realize is that this idea of, of free will um, it doesn't matter to every society uh, and hasn't mattered in every generation before us. Like there are societies, there are cultures, there are generations that this has not mattered that much to. But to us, being fully independent of God, feeling like we have some control in this is a huge deal to us. And here's what we do. We pin these things up against each other. Either there's free will or everything is planned by God, Right? Like for us, it's a pick or choose. Is there free will? Is everything planned by God? You can go talk about it in your small group this week. So good luck, small group leaders. It's gonna be great. Um, But this is a good conversation to wrestle around with. Is there free will? Is it planned by God? And how does this work? And you guys, as Paul was writing this, here's what I, I don't think. I don't think he was trying to divide the church for the next, you know, couple thousand years. Like when Paul was writing this, he wasn't trying to create this divisive statement. You know, it is divisive. It is hard to get our heads wrapped around. But I think what he's trying to do is give us an understanding, ultimately, that we are assured in our faith, that nothing can separate you from the love that is in Christ Jesus, no matter what you go through, that he is gonna be with you and that you cannot stop the plans of God. Not one bad decision, not a series of bad decisions, not the pain that you go through, or the struggle that you're experiencing, it cannot stop God's plan. That's really good news, right? That's really good news that we believe that today. So we would say, Brian, which one is it? Is it I have free will, or is it um, that everything's been predestined, you know, and planned? And there's a, there's a dichotomy there, almost like a, like a tension there. And I want to go through to some passages just to help us understand this. Uh, Proverbs 16.1 is where I want to begin. It says, the plans of the heart belong to man, 
but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. So that's where we begin. Your plans, they belong to you, right? So you leave church today, you go get out on the Glen and go like 95 miles an hour, you get a ticket, that ticket belongs to you, right? Not to God, well, it must have been God predestined me to get a ticket today, right? I mean, your plans belong to you, but he says, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. There's like this kind of cause and effect thing going on. Like your plans belong to you, but the, the ultimate outworking of those plans, that belongs to the Lord. He's going to work that the way that he wants to, and you can't stop that. So read on in verse 9. The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Once again, you make plans, whatever it is. You chose to marry that guy, marry that girl. You chose to go to that college. Uh, you chose to say that to your parents. You made that decision, but God's going to establish your steps. He is working those things together for the good of those who love God. You see, throughout Scripture, what you see are, are these two things held in tension. You see God's sovereignty, which is ultimately that he is working out his plan around us, and you can't stop it. And you see human responsibility. You see both of those things throughout Scripture, that you make decisions that will affect your life, and, and there's a fork in the road, and you've got to make a call, like, like it's going to change how things go. And yet, at the same time, you can't stop God's plans. And this is like an apparent contradiction, isn't it? It's an apparent con contradiction. I say apparent because I don't think it's actually a contradiction. It just doesn't jive with the way that we Westerners see the world. We don't like that you could hold both of those in tension. And the church itself, you guys, if you do any studying on this, do a little Google searching tonight, you will see division right up the middle. You'll see people that land on one side or the other. E either we have zero control, it's all been planned out since the beginning of time, or God is fully sovereign, everything is happening for a reason, and, uh, and whatever you've done, whatever happened to you, even to the point of your sin, is actually planned out by God. And so you're going to see division on this, so I'm probably not going to make either of you happy, depending on which side you land on today, because uh, I, I probably land somewhere in the middle of both of these things. I think I can hold both of them, and they're both fully true, that, that God is fully sovereign, and he can do whatever he wants, and that everything in the world that happens passes through God's hands. You need to know that. It all passes through God's hands, which is where the question of, like, God, why would you allow this comes from? It's all going to pass through God's hands, and yet our decisions... They matter. They make a difference. You are making choices today that will affect your future. We need to know that. Uh, there's another uh, little story in the book of Acts that speaks to this. And if you want, you can look this up later. It's Acts chapter 27. Uh, the guy that, that wrote the book of Romans, his name is Paul, and Paul is on a boat with a bunch of other people. And they, they encounter this storm, and everybody's freaking out like the boat's going to sink. And they're really scared. And this angel of the Lord shows up to Paul, and he says, hey, it's okay. Don't worry, everything's going to be fine. The boat's going to get wrecked, but everybody is going to live. You're going to be just fine. The boat's going to get wrecked, it's going to be torn apart, but everybody's going to be okay. And so Paul tells the men that. He's like, hey guys, don't worry about it. I know it's scary, but it's going to be okay. And then a little while later, what we see is the men are lowering these, these lifeboats down because they're freaked out, right? They're like, I don't know who Paul heard from, but we don't believe it. And they're lowering, the, lowering these boats down on either side of the ship, and they're going to save their own lives, right? They're like, I don't know what God thinks, but I'm going to save my own life. And Paul yells, and he says, stop them. He says, if they do that, we're all going to die. Interesting story, right? Essentially, he gets a word from God himself that you guys are all going to be fine. Just, here you go. Like, you're going to be okay. It's going to, the, the, the boat's going to get wrecked. It's going to be scary, 
but nobody's going to die. And then when they start to do things on their own, start to try to protect themselves instead of receiving God's protection, Paul says, you guys are screwing this up, right? We're all going to die if you do that. We need to continue down the road of obedience to God. He said we're going to be fine. We're going to be fine. Let's stick with it. So even in Paul, in his writings, what you see is a guy who holds both of those things in tension, right? Our decisions matter, and God is sovereign. God is, he is working things together. And so what I want to talk about are a couple of what I would call ditches of predestination. And so my dad, when I used to get the car keys on a Friday night, he'd throw me the keys and be like, stay out of the ditches, right? And you parents say that. So he goes, stay out of the ditches. So here's what we're going to do. I want to talk about two ditches of predestination. Essentially, here's my challenge to you. Just stay out of the ditch, right? Just stay out of the ditches and you're going to be just fine. Here are the two ditches. The passive ditch and the paralyzed ditch. The passive ditch and the paralyzed ditch. The, the, The passive ditch looks like this. Everything is planned out. God has got it all locked in. It's going to happen, whether I like it or not, no matter what I do. So essentially, I can go through life and be passive about my decisions. It doesn't really matter what I do, you know? I'm just going to sit at home and eat Cheetos on the couch. And if God wants me to get out of the couch, he'll send like a meteor or something to, you know, blow up my house and like I'll have to leave my house or something will happen. But in the meantime, I'm just going to do nothing, right? Because God's in control and because of that, I'm going to be passive about my life, right? or you're in the paralyzed ditch. The paralyzed person is, is somebody who's in fear. And, and you're going to hear it come out in your language, where maybe for you, um, you were getting ready to get married, and you were so worried that, that you were going to miss God's perfect person for you. And you're like, what if I marry the wrong person, right? And maybe you've said that. God, what if I marry the wrong person? Now, maybe they love God. They're a good human being. They're exactly who you're looking for. But what if there's somebody else out there that I'm supposed to marry, and I'm going to miss it? You get paralyzed, right? Or what if you take the wrong job? Or, you know, what what if you do this or that and you miss what God is doing? So you're paralyzed in fear because now it's all on you. Now in in just one moment, you could send like the the whole time-space continuum off into a ditch and you could have to get in the DeLorean to go back and fix your life because you screwed it up when you were 13 by, you know, dating the wrong girl. And so it's just, it's scary when you start to think that like, man, we're totally in control. We're just running this thing and, You know, God sort of like spun the world into existence and he's standing back going, don't screw it up, good luck, right? So I was talking with a friend of mine earlier this past week. I was telling him that I was going to talk about this and he's got a great story about um, something crazy happening in his life that I feel like fits really in uh, with this well. And I've told a few of you about this before, but I've got pictures. So um, it it, it was crazy. So it was a few years ago, um, him him and a buddy started a business in uh, Nashville, Tennessee, and uh, they're teaching people how to do online trading and, and stocks and things like that. And so um, to start the business, they bought this little house. And it had a basement with an upstairs. And uh, his, his partner, they moved into the upstairs of the house. And it was him and his wife and I think a baby. And uh, then they all worked downstairs. They remodeled the basement to be their offices. And so they had a small staff. And uh, this particular week uh, or this particular day, they're hanging out in, in the basement doing their jobs. And he had hired a new guy that was on the back porch. And uh, they're all like downstairs working, doing their thing, and something popped into my buddy's head that, hey, I should go check on uh, the new guy on the back porch. Just go see how he's doing. Let's just, maybe let's get all of our computers together, get some sweet tea. Let's go on the back porch, and let's do staff meeting out back there. And so they, they get up, and they walk out to the back porch, and they're sitting there for five minutes, and they hear this explosion from the front of their house. 
And they all get up and they go running around the house and this is what they see. Pretty crazy, right? So that is a garbage truck, a Nashville garbage truck. He was driving down the street towards their house and then he, he lost his brakes on the garbage truck. And at the last minute, he and the guy, you know, the guy that rides on the back, they both jumped out. They jump out of the truck and it goes barreling into their house. Show the next slide. Yeah, crazy, right? So here's what you need to know about this location. Um, in the upstairs right there is uh, the bedroom of this little baby girl. And in, in the basement is where their office is. And the front tire of that truck is sitting on my buddy's chair. Like it's, it's sitting on the chair. And when it hit the, the house, the bricks went through that room like an explosion, like shrapnel going through all the drywall. I mean, it was, it was like people would have been, there had been no chance of them living through this whole situation. They just happened to be on the back porch. Um, his, his partner, the, just a couple days ago, or before this, had gone on vacation. It was about 10 a.m. Typically, the baby would have been sleeping right there in that window. And, and instead, they were off on vacation, and they just happened to be gone. So a lot of things just happened to work out in this moment. And, and when uh, my friend Josh was telling me about this, he's like, you know what? Six people should have died in this moment. And from the family that's upstairs to the staff that was working downstairs, he's like, just five minutes ago, I'm sitting at that wall working on the computer, and then this garbage truck comes running through the house. The two guys that were in there, show the next picture. The driver jumped out, and uh, you can see that that's good news for him because um, he would not have made it through that. He, he jumped out. He was rolling around in the street when they came around uh, the front of the house. So things like this happen sometimes, and, and maybe things like this have happened to you, and, and, and when you look at things like this, you say, praise God, right? I mean, you can't help but, but look at God and go, wow, God's protection is on our lives, which it, which it is. Praise God for, for things just happening to work out. Uh, because we believe that he does work in these things and protect us from things. But it was, it was interesting, as we were talking about this, I was just like, how do you get your brain wrapped around something like that happening, you know? I mean, you've got to come away with a little PTSD or something. I mean, just five minutes beforehand, you were sitting there, and this truck would have killed you. And so as we were talking, I'm, I told him I was going to talk about this, because I said, you know, there's probably two ditches you could have fallen into. The first would have been just paralyzation with fear. Like, let's say they rebuild the whole office, and then later on that week, somebody's like, want to do staff meeting outside? It's like, yes, yes, we always want to do staff meeting outside. We never want to do staff meeting inside. Only, only outside, you know? I mean, you'd be just scared of, of, of doing staff meeting indoors because at any minute, some dump truck could come flying through the window. I mean, how scary is that? Some of you live like that, right? I mean, you walk through life like any minute something terrible, it's like Final Destination stuff, right? Any minute, something's trying to kill you, right? And that's kind of the world we live in, but you don't have to live in fear, right? Because God is sovereign. He is, he is working things together. You don't have to live in fear. You could land on the other side, right? The other side would have been that everything's, God, God makes everything happen, it all happens for a reason, so why don't we just like close up shop? Why even rebuild? Or if we do, why don't I just set up my office out on the Glen, right? I'm just as safe out there as I would be in my office. I mean, if God wants me to die, he'll run over, get run over by a car. If he doesn't, I won't. Why does it matter? None of it matters. You could fall into either ditch with this type of a situation. Instead, what do you do? You thank God. That'd be a good, good place to start. You thank God for caring for you, for caring for that family upstairs, for protecting you. And then you walk forward. 
and you move forward. You know your decisions matter, make good choices, and you trust that ultimately if it's your time to go, you're not going to stop it. You just can't stop it. And, and if you do go through something difficult, that you know that he's going to work it together for a greater plan, a greater story. And those aren't just like religious little sayings when you're going through something hard. I mean, that is what you hold on to when you're going through something painful, is that there is something bigger that, that I'm a part of here. And I believe that God is working all things together for the good of those who love him. So those are the two ditches. Stay out of the ditches. Avoid the ditches. Stay in the middle. Know that there is God's sovereignty as well as your responsibility. So the next question that I have is, is so that's like situational. What about our salvation? How does that work? Again, churches have argued about this forever. Christians, you know, have argued about this forever. And there's an old illustration I'm going to share with you guys today that I think, I think lines out how I would see this. Like the question, do I save myself or does God save me? And I said this a couple weeks ago, that, that, that the faith that you have is a gift from God. You, you don't save yourself. It's not because of you. But there is a decision to make. There's a choice to make. Here's the illustration. It's kind of, kind of like you're looking at a doorway. And some of you are there this morning. You're making a decision. Do I want to walk through that doorway or not? Like, is this legit? Is there really a God? What's this church? Like, is this, are, are these, these people for real? Like, what is this? And you're making a decision. And let's say over the doorway is this scripture, Matthew 10, 32. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. So Jesus says, if you want me to acknowledge before my Father your name, you need to acknowledge me before men. You need to make a decision. You need to, you need to communicate, I'm a follower of Jesus. And you need to make that choice. So let's say today is your day, and you're like, I'm going to walk through the doorway. I don't, I don't understand everything. Um, I don't get it all, but I know that there's a God, and I want to follow him. I want to figure it out, and I want to receive his grace today. So you walk through the doorway, you turn around, you look at the doorway, and over the other side of the door is this verse, John 15, 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And if you're a Christian today, you've probably got a story like this. If you're, if you're a believer, you can look back on your life and you can see how God intricately wove things together so that you would finally follow him, so that you would finally trust in him. You can see the, the people that he brought into your life and the situations that you thought were terrible when you were in them, but they were all softening you so that you might receive his grace and know that you need a savior, right? So we all have this story where there's a day that we're thinking, I'm choosing God, and then there's another day where we're like, man, God chose me. So once again, I want to tell you, both things are important. You have a decision to make, as well as God is working things to, together for the good. And he, his plan will not be stopped by you, which is such good news. And if you need some, some peace today, you need some hope, I want you to stand on the, this last point, which is simply that God is always present in our problems. He is always present in our problems. He's always with you. Just like Jesus wept when his, his friend was dead, you need to know that God, when, when you are experiencing pain, that, that he mourns that loss. That Jesus was not somebody who is, who, who is absent in our pain or, or who is unfamiliar with pain, but Jesus felt the, the deepest of sorrows and the deepest of pain, which means that he can be here with you and he knows what it's like. He has a testimony, a story. And so because of that, you can turn to God and you can know that he's with you. 
You can know that although the love of God won't separate you from your pain, your pain will never separate you from the love of God. And you can stand on that today. That just because it's hard, just because it's, it's a difficult situation, God has not left you. He is with you in the pain. There can be assurance tonight as you lay down in bed that God is with you. And some of you are here today and you're like, I don't know, um, maybe I lost my salvation. Some people would say that. They'd say, well, once you're saved, God can't take away your salvation, but you can give it away. I would highly disagree with that. I would say once you place your faith in Jesus, there is nothing in all of creation. We just read this, right? Nothing in all of creation. Nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor anything present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything in all of creation. Paul is stretching to the limits of the human language to tell you that no matter what you're going through, you cannot be taken out of God's hand. So know that today, that God is present in your problems. He is with you in your pain. So my question to you is, do you love Jesus? Do you love God? This whole thing is a gift to those who love God. I want you to make a call today. You're standing at a doorway. You have a decision to make. Will you follow him? Will you put your life in his hands? And will you trust that he's going to be with you as you walk it out? Let's pray together. God, I know this is such a loaded conversation and that there are people in this room who are dealing with very big things. There are people who are mourning loss and struggling with pain and they're trying to figure out how they feel about you and asking questions about why this and why that. Today, God, we lay the question of why down at the altar. God, I pray that we would be a kind of people that don't ask why as much as we ask what. God, not why are you doing this, but what are you doing through this? God, that's the answer we need. God, show us what you're doing through our pain and help us to, to follow that and to pursue you and to, to, to look for ways, God, to honor you more throughout our struggle. God, maybe somebody is here today and they're standing at the doorway wondering if, if they have the strength or desire to walk through. God, would you grant them the faith that they don't have? Would you give them the grace that they need? Would you give them the strength that they don't have to walk through that doorway, to receive your grace and to realize, God, that it's all a gift from you. God, as we worship here today, could we just release some things to you? Could we just trust that there's a bigger thing at work through our pain? God, could we honor you with our voices and, and lift you up knowing, God, that you are king and you are greater than our problems and our mistakes? And that's what gives us peace. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Love you guys. Thanks.